Good morning. Are you on vacation? (laughs) I am on vacation. I find that when I was working, vacations were a time of rest from work, but now it's the other way around. Every culture and language has its idiosyncrasies when I arrived in Colorado 10, 15 years ago now, I suppose, um, for my new parish, I discovered that South Florida is the land of clean cars. (laughs) We came through a snowstorm, my car was all covered with snow and ice and grit, and I mentioned to somebody that I hadn't been able to find a car wash. And I said, what do you need a car wash for? <laughs> so well, my car went through a snowstorm, it's pretty dirty. I said, really, how dirty is it? I said, I don't know, it's pretty dirty. And he said, well, can you open the doors? <laughs> Different culture. A number of years ago when I was on vacation, I decided that I would try to read the gospels straight through in Greek. Now, I had had some Greek in seminary, but I'm not a scholar of Greek by any means, not like Father Nicholas, for example. Um, But with some effort, I could get through it, but I had to look up a lot of words as I I went through, and uh, I discovered that it gave me time to sort of think about each of the words and why they were used. And um, I remember particularly that one of the phrases that I encountered several times in several chapters um, in the Gospel of Matthew uh, was the phrase that we heard today um, in the outer darkness or in the furnace there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now Jesus explains the parable that he told today so I don't have to explain that to you. It's all mapped out for you. You know, son of man is the sower, the uh, enemy is the devil, the seeds are the uh, children of the kingdom and the uh, weeds are the children of the evil. You know, it's all right there. But what he doesn't tell us is, so why is there weeping and gnashing of teeth? I mean, why isn't everybody just screaming? Or why aren't they crying out? Or why aren't they begging or pleading? Or why weeping and gnashing of teeth? And why does he keep, keep saying it over and over in these different parables in different contexts? Um, and so I thought, I need to think about this a little bit. And I realized that my problem uh, was that I had been reading the gospel in Greek and Jesus didn't speak Greek, at least not natively. He spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, which was a variation of Hebrew. And um, so uh, I had to think about what it might mean in Hebrew. Um, and I decided that Uh, one of the distinctive features about Hebrew is a language and cultural thing again, uh, is that uh, we take for granted um, the number of borrowed words and the richness of our English vocabulary. Um, So for example, over 50%, I think, of our vocabulary in English is actually French, because for about 500 years, French was spoken in England after 1066 and all that. And uh, so you can see how it works. Um, 
if you go to an inn, you get bed and board. That's all English. But if you go to a hotel, um, you go to a restaurant, and you have dinner, not lunch. Shepherds keep sheep. That's all English. But if you dine, you dine on mutton, which is French. English keep cows. French eat steak. See how it works? So uh, one of the characteristics of Hebrew is that um, because it, it's not enriched with all of these other words which give us the ability to create sort of class meanings and inner distinctions and all of that sort of thing, um, the only way to talk, for example, about inward feelings or emotions, uh, which is actually a Latin and presumes a lot of Stoic psychology, which the Hebrews didn't know anything about, um, the, um, uh, the way you could talk about emotions in Hebrew, because they had the emotions, they just didn't know how to talk about them like we do, um, was by their outward invisible uh, manifestations. So for example, uh, when you get angry at somebody, your nostrils flare. <laughs> A word for anger has to do with your nose, your nostrils going out. Um, when you get sad, your countenance falls. Um, if you are happy, or rather, uh, if you want somebody to be happy with you, um, you want to find favor in their eyes. You want their eyes to light up when they look at you. That's the word for grace. Um, so what is weeping and gnashing of teeth? Um, clearly, weeping has to do with this deep, deep sadness. It's not crying out. It's not, um, it, it, it's not wailing. It's, not, it's a deep, deep sadness that's brought about by loss or um, long-suffering pain, isn't it? When we just have no words, we just have to weep. But what about gnashing of teeth? Well, I know that one too. I'll just wait till I get them. C.S. Lewis says there's two kinds of people um, who suffer injustice. Uh, one kind vows, I will never do that to anybody else if I have power. And the other one says, oh, just wait till I get my chance. So Jesus is trying to tell us that in life, most of our experiences of of God's good creation and the bounty of the, it's like, it's like you notice the, the flag of Ukraine, do you know what it is? You know that yellow across the, the bottom and the blue across the top? Uh, could, Kansas could have the same flag, couldn't it? I mean, really, it's the wheat fields. Can, Ukraine was the breadbasket of Europe, so it's the, the gold wheat and the blue sky uh, above. Um, but in from time to time, all of us have in our life the experience of loss, of hurt, of pain, of suffering, and when we feel just sad and lonely and lost 
and to have no words but to weep. Or we have those experiences when we know it has, this is not right, this is not fair, um, this is unjust. And then sometimes what we want to do is get back, you know, what's the word? Uh, don't get mad, get even. Uh, we want vengeance and retribution. Um, we want payback. We don't want to gnash our teeth until we can get what we want. Well, Jesus says, if you nurse that, if you live in that, that's hell. It will separate you from everybody around you. It will isolate you. It will drive you into a very dark place where that will be your whole life will be nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth. How then should we live? The first time I ever spoke in public uh, in a formal way was uh, in the ninth grade. I entered a speech contest that was sponsored by Optimus International. And the title of the speech uh, that was given to us was Optimism Formula for Freedom. And I remember I defined optimism out of the dictionary as the belief that good will triumph over evil. I remember that I quoted Franklin Roosevelt saying, uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I also um, said that we have to remember, however, that it is good that will prevail, not simply America. I didn't win the contest. <laughs> But it's true that Christianity is the most optimistic of faiths. We believe that the dead are raised and that in the end, all things will work together for good for those who love God. But we're not naive. We're not blind. Our faith is not fantasy we know that Jesus was raised from the dead. We know that Jesus did not die peacefully in his bed in old age, or even nobly like Socrates drinking hemlock in his prison cell, or heroically like Achilles, the great warrior. Jesus was crucified. He died a long, agonizing, shameful, unjust, cruel death. And we know that cruelty was the point of crucifixion. And we also understand that the triumph of good over evil is not automatic. We must choose to believe. We must have ears to hear and eyes to see 
and hearts to love, and we must, in the end, choose. We must decide to walk in love as Christ loved us. And so we must continually pray, as we do each week, for strength and courage to love and serve God with gladness and singleness of heart. St. Paul puts the matter clearly in today's reading from, Rome, from his letter to the Romans. He says we must choose to live according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And he says the choice is a matter of life and death. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. More Hebrew. The Hebrew word for flesh doesn't mean skin. It means our creatureliness. To be in the flesh is to be mortal. It means to be weak. It means to be helpless. We can't keep ourselves from dying any more than we can keep ourselves from growing old. We must go the way of all flesh. God, on the other hand, is the Alpha and the Omega. Though we blossom and flourish like leaves on a tree, God is eternal and not changes thee. God is spirit, the creator of all that is, the redeemer of everything that is lost or broken, and the Lord and giver of life. God cannot die, God lives. And so Paul says that to live according to the flesh is to set our minds on the things of the flesh. The opposite of faith is anxiety. Anxiety arises out of our awareness of our mortality. We know we can die, we know we're going to die, and that makes us anxious. And as our anxiety grows, we become afraid and fearful. And our fear leads us into slavery because if you do only what you want, you will be a slave to what you want to do. Or in St. Paul's language, we will become slaves of sin. But he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption. For there are varieties of spirits too. But it is the Holy Spirit that has poured the love of God into our hearts. And when we pray, our Father, 
Paul says that that is that very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're his children, then we're also his heirs. And if we're heirs of God, we're fellow heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him. Or as Bob Dylan says, for those who think death's honesty won't fall upon them naturally, life sometimes must get lonely. But we are made for communion and community with God and with one another. And so we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. For in the end, the resurrection of Jesus is not just something that happened to Jesus, but something that happened for us and for our salvation. It's the revelation that God will, in the end, in the harvest, reverse the second law of thermodynamics that all things wind down to death. And that assures us that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so, with St. Paul, and I hope with you, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen.